Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Got very cosmic with Chris Bendixson from CoinShares. That's all I'll say. You guys will hear the rest as you get past this introduction. This episode is brought to you by your good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Easiest place to stack sets. And they're making sets a standard. You can stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sets if you so please. Uh, and again, we're not buying fractions of a Bitcoin. We're buying whole sats. You can set sats as your standard within the app and have that mentality as you stack sats. Uh, on top of that, you can DCA into sats. You can set it and forget it. You can buy it daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Uh, just set whatever your cadence that you're comfortable with, the amount that you're comfortable with, and forget it. Set it and forget it. We're bringing the crockpot to the cash app, the crockpot mentality. It's very important to set it and forget it. God, I love crockpots. Pulled pork, chicken. Great, great vehicle for making uh, chicken cheesesteaks. Uh, how can you make a chicken? What is a chicken cheesesteak? That just hit me uh, for the first time. Someone from Philadelphia. How could a chicken be a steak or cheesesteak? Back to the to the ad read, though. Uh, on top of stacking sats and DCAing into sats and making sats a standard, you can also stack slivers of stonks on the Cash App if you so please. You don't have to. The option's there. We're big fans of optionality here at TFTC. Uh, if your favorite stonk's a little too expensive, out of your out of your, uh, out of of your your budget, you can stack as little as $1 uh, because this is all connected to your bank account because Cash App may even be your bank account. If you didn't know, they're offering account number and routing numbers. So you freaks can direct deposit your paychecks into the app. Uh, there's no four to five day waiting periods. Start stacking sats and slivers of stonks today. On top of that, they have their boost program with their specialized debit card. You can personalize it yourself. Uh, it's a pretty incredible stack. New old bank, Cash App. They're on fire right now. Go check them out if you haven't. Uh, I must note that Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square and member SIPC. And as always, make sure when you download the app, if you haven't already, I can't believe you haven't already if you've been listening to this podcast, you use the code STACKINGSATS, that's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. When you download the app, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Alice Across. And this isn't some gimmick here. I legitimately have a dragonfly on my computer right now that came to hear this owl call. It's Owls Lacrosse, not that dirtbag owl. He's trying to confuse a lot of people. He's a dirtbag. Creepy dude. My mom told me never to talk to him outside of uh, lacrosse drills. Owls lacrosse. How do you like that, dragonfly? Is it true dragonflies only live for like a couple days? Use the code stacking sats. Download the Cash App. And I hope you thoroughly enjoy this episode of Chris. Um, we got into a lot. Heady, heady, heady conversation that dives into the why we Bitcoin, which I think is uh, very important to be reminded of every now and then. Drop your purist test. The purity tests are getting a little old. Listen to this episode. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. 
Computer slow. We are recording. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty. Very excited for this conversation. Sitting down with somebody who fascinates the hell out of me. I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to Crispin Dixon from CoinShares. What's going on? Not much. Chilling in my hammock. I know. You're always chilling in your hammock. Um, it's life. It's the where life. did we first meet? On the, on the mining calls? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe I think, I think so. so. I'm. I don't remember actually. Yeah, I think our our pass only crossed this year, or like a little before this year, um, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And uh, just hearing your thoughts on these calls every week is, uh, again, you're a very fascinating person in my book. I've, I've had. Uh, we've talked about Gam too officially on a call, but. Um, you were just describing what you were doing before Bitcoin, trying to find the essence of consciousness. Why can't we do that? We can. Um, we, I mean, it, it's been done, just not really in, in the West. It, I, I think a part of it is a definition issue. We're not very good at um, putting the correct words at, at what we believe consciousness is in the west and therefore we we mingle it with things that i don't think are actually part of the concept like advanced thinking and and memory and the things that we at least in the west tend to associate with consciousness which is it's just a little muddled whereas if you if you flip over to the eastern way of thinking about this then consciousness is much better defined um it is the essence of experience and it doesn't require things like memory or planning or these types of things that we 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 always tend to like get into that concept uh when we think about it from a western standpoint it's not so i mean i i I was gonna say it's not as it's not as simple as cogito ergo suum Um, I mean, it, it, it actually kind of is because the, the, the act of thinking does prove that you exist, but it doesn't, I, I think it's, uh, I think it is sufficient. I mean, it's not necessary to know how to think, I think, to be conscious. I think consciousness shines through everything that has any type of senses or, or computation attached to it, which has some pretty interesting potential consequences for like computing and, and, and whether we think like machines that have active senses, like it's actually conscious. Like so machines with sensors that that can read temperature and react accordingly like a miner if you will yeah maybe i mean so long as it's like an ongoing operation like you could argue that the the miner is conscious of like certain things like its own temperature or like the amount of hash that it's producing yeah wait so how how do you think the east has done this better at or has explained consciousness better and how would you they came from it from how would you know that they explained it better if you can't describe it in western 
terms? Uh, well, first of all, they built a whole language around it. <laughs> so they, they like constructed the language of Sanskrit to effectively describe mainly like spiritual and, and religious topics. Um, they also came at it from the completely opposite way. So like in, in Western tradition of discovery, like we tend to come at things from the outside in, um, you know, we, we like empiricism. We like, we like objectivity in our, um, in our journey of discovery. Whereas consciousness just might be outside of that realm. Um, so it might just not be, um, it might just not be appropriate to attack it from uh, an objective point of view because it is inherently subjective in itself. And so maybe phenomenology is the better way to come at it. And that is like what the East has done. So they come at the question of consciousness from the inner self and they equate it with the self and well, they, quote unquote no. yeah like just hoarding huge parts of like <laughs> culture on under one um but it, at least i find that approach to um that approach to it, it at least thinking about this seems to me to be more fruitful and um looks to give more satisfactory and and profound answers to like what what this even yeah. is like what is all this what, are, what the hell are we doing here is this what tool tries to get at too in their music we were talking about tool before we hit record yeah. too um i didn't realize mm-hmm. i mean that i didn't re- i didn't realize tool. tool was so introspective i just thought it was like a heavy metal band i never really dove into the tool discography oh dude you gotta get into tool Tool is where it's at. Um, their their discography is fantastic. I mean, their their latest album is a masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, and it Tool is exactly that. It is a tool, just like you know, money is a tool. You know, we 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 do we do tend, I think, in this space to get a little bit a little bit caught up with the tools of life. You know, money is a tool. It's not the goal a tool uh it's a great tool but a tool i agree I, and I've, I've said that many times bitcoin is merely a tool but i think people become so fascinated and so focused on bitcoin the tool and making it successful because they believe if it is successful the tool will just allow people to live life easier and the work and the mm. work isn't done yet so we have to get the tool perfected absolutely tools are capital and we need more. So what what drove you to Bitcoin? You were saying you, you studied neuroscience. You did some shipping before Bitcoin, SME. Um, you worked yeah. for an SME fund. Like how did you get hooked? Well, it's a, it's a financing boutique. Um, but yeah, then I did energy shipping, uh, which has actually served me really well uh, in understanding like the mining space because we... Um, as a company, we dealt with 
there's like I specialized in uh, natural gas and natural gas, uh, you know, to a much higher degree than the other uh, energy containing liquids you can, you know, transport over the seas. They're much more closely related to um, domestic energy and electricity grids and, um, you know, that whole, that whole <laughs> like bag of craziness. So coming from that um, background has, has helped me actually a lot in getting a, a more of an intuitive sense for how, how this all is strung together from a, from a bit of a higher level. So where, uh, where were you dealing with like the shipping of, of natural gas? We were like Russia to Europe, Qatar, potentially Europe. Like natural gas yeah, starts proxy wars, right? Would you argue that Syria was a proxy war for that natural gas pipeline? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, natural gas is, is big business and it, it's political now. Um, and uh, it, it has interesting effects, uh, you know, especially as it pertains to like how Europe deals with Russia and, you know, it, its own inability to, to cover its own energy needs. So, I mean, the, the U.S. has done interesting things there over the last decade. Uh, now there's a, there's a credible and, um, and large enough potential supply of LNG from the Gulf Coast to, to feed uh, most of European needs. But, you know, the, the, there's more to it than that. Like, you can't just, I mean, you got to build these, like, ridiculous um, reception facilities that are, like, wildly expensive and... Um, more are needed for uh, for a higher degree of independence from Russian gas, but but yeah, that that stuff is um, it's the driver of a lot of the geopolitical like larger themes that you see in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe, where you have a lot of the the junctions of uh, the huge natural gas pipelines that comes in from Siberia. Yeah, that was the big thing in in Ukraine, right? That's. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cause for tension there was who who controlled the natural gas pipelines, and you have America mm. getting involved too. Is Amer America? Oh yeah, of of course. Yeah, like people, uh, potential presidential candidates, uh, family members on boards, children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I heard he's speaking at the uh, or did, did he speak at the DNC? He was supposed to. Hunter, Hunter. I don't know. I don't, didn't tune in to either of those conventions. It's such a shit show over here, yeah. dude. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be an it's gonna Sorry. be an interesting election. I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think there's gonna be a, a clear winner. Potential. You don't uh, think? Um, Whitney Webb sort of convinced me of that. Well, that'll be. A, that I mean that that'll be a that'll be a fun, it'll be a super fun outcome. Um. I mean, if federal elections are not able to be held, then there'd be some interesting shifts in the composition of, uh, well, actually, no, there won't, because even if someone's senatorial term runs out, then I'm pretty sure the governors can appoint um, emergency representatives. So... 
it'll probably mean a Republican president. No, nah, I think comes January 21st, if it's not clear who the winner is, the Speaker of the House takes over. It's Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, but Wait. yeah, but Pelosi's term is running out, so... Can you imagine if she was president? Um, oh my god. Well, could you imagine if... You could say, could you imagine if Trump was president I mean, 10 years ago? Yeah, I was going to say, like... Like, could you imagine that Boris is prime minister? <laughs> <Fuck no. laughs> all these people, all these people. Are, I, I wrote like an, an alternative uh, essay on this in university in a history class. It is one of these like revisionist history type of prompts. Like, uh, you know, why hasn't there been a World War Three? Do you think there will be one, you know? Most people are like, no, definitely not. Like, things are totally different now. We'll never see that again. Pox Americana, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, if you get the right, you know, slash wrong people all in power all at the same time. Like, that's normally fucking how it goes. And we're pretty close to that point right now. We got some... We got some, some loose cannons. Some very uh, strong personalities leading the world. Uh, quote unquote mm-hmm. leading, leading, leading. Yes. Lead, leading. Uh, yeah. Is this the end of the nation state as as it has been for the last few hundred years? I saw you were uh, you tweeted a founding father quote out yesterday, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. We've gotten pretty far from what he believed. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. But the Constitution still holds, though. It's been bastardized to an extent, though. It has executive order. I mean, I mean, executive orders completely, completely overwrite the Constitution, and it's been happening since Obama. Now, there's been some interesting, um, shall we call it, interpretations by the judicial branch as well, which I mean, unavoidable under the the setup that it that it creates, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is it the end of the nation state? Hopefully it's the end of like the super state. Yes. I mean, it's becoming glaringly obvious here oh. that different parts of the country think very differently. I'm, uh, I'm becoming more and more yeah. of a fan of the idea of breaking the U.S. up into the smaller jurisdictions. I mean, the shit that's going down right now in Wisconsin is like, holy fuck seems like the beginnings of a civil war here. Like, is it necessary to break up the whole country? And Like, what? No, I, I don't know that I'm well, going to do that. Like, the US, U.S. military is just too good of yeah. a tool. Well, that's what we mentioned this on Monday, too. Like, imagine if we could get back to a republic where states had independent rights and, and they were respected. And we only mm-hmm. banded together. Just share that military. Yeah, exactly. Just reduce the size of the federal government. Like, why does the federal government have to be so big? Like, that that money can be channeled back to the states, and then they can figure their own stuff out in accordance with their own population. Well, then like, why do you have to have this, like, super agreement between 330 million people instead of just, like, smaller pockets of agreement with innovation and governance and, and legal approaches? Instead, like, everything has to fit under one, like, 
mega system. It's just weird. I don't like it. But you got to keep the military though, because you know China. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But then you you get at the nature of. Is there any other direction a federal government could go in other than getting bigger? Like, is is there just a natural entropy that exists? that has existed since the signing of the constitution that is inevitable just because of human greed and individuals lust for power, particularly sociopathic politicians. Yeah. Which the fucking system selects for. It's a little fucked up. Yeah. It's very fucked up. That's why, that's why truly I, I say I'm not political a lot. Like, and I say that in the sense that I'm not like red team versus blue team. I, I don't, I don't like any of them, but I do yeah, like the f- fuck the teams. Yeah. Teams are stupid. Right. Like in this context, like teams just create division. I mean, it's glaringly obvious right now. Like you can't even have a conversation at the dinner table without, without uh, proclaiming what team you're, you're rooting for before you get in, engaged in the conversation. And if you don't pick the right team, you can, you can get yelled at, at least yeah. in some conversation. Yeah. Then just, wholesale denouncing everyone who's like not on board with your team this is why i focus on bitcoin i said this the other week i think bitcoin is the the greatest extension of and protection of natural rights and the embodiment of natural law theory since the constitution and bitcoin is much harder to change than the constitution i would argue yeah yeah i mean can't be evil is a much better moniker than like don't be evil you know yeah like, let's just build a system such that they can't be messed with. Do you think Bitcoin can be messed with? To a certain extent, but, I mean, you can't have it so unchanging that it's completely inflexible because it's not like time stands still, you know? Yeah. Well, that's one thing. You said you were studying time uh, recently. And we got into the conversation of ETH 2.0's testnet um, going down because of a Cloudflare time issue. NTP, I believe, was the issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm an expert on Ethereum 2 here, but the way I understand it, and somebody please come and set me straight if I got this wrong, but the way I understand it is that the way the time ordering works um, in that system is just querying a pretty small set of network time servers, which uh, that's a little, uh, not, I mean, sounds like a, how is that not a central yeah, point of failure? critical dependency. Like. I, I, and I mean, again, like, isn't this, isn't this a huge part of the reason why we use proof of work in the first place? Like, like it's a time ordering thing. Like we need to know which transactions came before others. If not, the ledger is meaningless. And how how do we agree on what the time is? Well, we use a proof of work clock. You know, like the, it's not. It shouldn't even be called a blockchain. It should be called a time chain. Satoshi actually referred to it um, as a time chain in the code, didn't he? I mean, in the in the white paper, if, if we want to look at foundational documents here, like, I mean, it's not like he uses the word blockchain at all. He talks about a distributed timestamping server. Um, and to do that, we have to 
employee proof of work. Like it, it just to me sounds like the critical problem to be solved here is a problem of uh, canonical time ordering, not a problem of like stringing blocks together. No, let's dive into this more because there's a lot of nuance here. So Bitcoin's timestamping proof of work mechanism can be described as asynchronous consensus, correct? Yeah. The, so, I, I mean, I lean very heavily here. I, I never even grasped this until I I read that paper by, uh, what's it called, Gregory Trebetskoy or something like that. Let me find... Uh, let me find that right now. I want to cite that correctly because I, I want people to like actually go. Yeah, Gregory Trebetskoy. He wrote this back in like early 2018. Uh, and the paper is called uh, Blockchain Proof of Work is a Decentralized Clock. Like, if people haven't read this, like, go read it. It's mind blowing. Um, I mean, before that, like, I, I thought I understood proof of work, but I clearly didn't get every nuance. Like, I, I hadn't even actually, like, thought about it in those terms. But, yeah, if, if you think about it, like, one of the huge problems with having a shared ledger is that everybody has to agree on what time it is. Uh, because if we don't agree on what time it is, then we don't agree which transactions fit where in the ledger. And we can't be guaranteed to arrive at a shared consensus of what the state of the ledger is. Uh, and so, so that took me on this like whole like <laughs> delve into like, you know, what is time? <laughs> what is <laughs> like what what is time and how like how how do we like normally agree on what time it is? And um, I mean, you know, people probably have like a bit of a sense for this, but I mean, there's a time first of all is entirely abstract. It is just it does it doesn't have an independent existence outside of human minds i mean we're it, it's 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 a concept that we come up with to try and measure the progression of events as we perceive them uh, and you know normally throughout history we've done that by like measuring astronomical cycles be it the the spinning of the earth or you know the the period of the uh, elliptic around the sun or you know whatever you have it and up until like shockingly recently like that was how we coordinated time I, I think it was like in the 60s at the latest we were coordinating time based on uh astronomical observations now uh you know in our uh, exalted um modernity uh we use atomic clocks and these these clocks are synchronized uh, across the world and then they essentially feed these like time oracles and uh they're used, you know, amongst other things to to sync um, network time, which is part of the internet protocol. And you you essentially query a timestamp server, like what time is it, and it returns you a time. But that comes with like a whole bunch of problems. Um, the biggest one probably being that like you don't have any guarantees of knowing that the signal that was just sent to you was propagated you know correctly and quickly and without much delay so when you query a timestamping server like you have to kind of keep 
doing it over time to see if like you can get rid of like latency and uh, inefficiencies in like the transmission not to mention the fact that time is like totally relative and my time and your time need not necessarily be the same dependent on our relative momentum our frame of reference like our distance to gravitational sources like the whole thing is it's just a it's just a whole like stack of problems for how do we all like come to some like consensus on this. And this is where proof of work with the hash chain is such an incredible and awesome invention because work implies time. You know, the, the, uh, the physics concept of work is, you know, force multiplied by time. So if work has provably been done, then time has provably passed. So when you, tie blocks together with the hash chain and proof of work you not only like the the finding of a new block is like the tick of the proof of work clock mm-hmm. and the hash chain makes sure that you know that the current tick of the clock like provably came after the previous tick of the clock and it's verifiable as we all know by anyone like it, it's really easy to, to verify a proof of work um so this way like we can actually all come to consensus at which blocks came before the others and after and this is the whole reason why we arrive at consensus at the current state of the utxo database so i mean if if, if one hasn't thought about this you know, kind of huge thing that proof of work does, then I think you're like missing out on, on, on a a big part of the, of the consensus algorithm mind space, if you will, because it's not only about like, it's, you know, proof of work fulfills a lot of roles, but you, it has to fulfill all of them, not just some of them. Uh, So you, you can't just like pick pieces out of it and expected to to do the same thing what are these roles um well it adds economic um settlement assurance so it, it has a cost which is a pretty cool side effect it's not necessary for the time function uh but the the cost is a cool side effect gives you economic settlement assurance so you know, it's uh, it, it's a complex thing. Yeah. But isn't there some nuance with this too? Because like, couldn't you technically have a block at a higher block height have a timestamp, a Unix timestamp that's uh, back in time, like before the block you can, before but, it? But it? Yeah, you, you you can, but but that's that's like that's normal time. That's not block mm-hmm. time. It's it, it's the it's the block number that is the the canonical time. Um, the the timestamp is is just to calculate the difficulty periods. Uh, yeah. So so it doesn't actually it doesn't like for yeah if if you have a block that is higher in block number but that has a time that's before a previous uh, block you know say the, the yeah that that doesn't actually play into you know how you calculate who owns yeah. what. No, it's a very so. important distinction to make that sort of just clicked in my head. You have to separate the block height from the timestamp. Yeah, well, there's block time, and then there's... Human time. 
human or or other other time. Let's just call it other time because they're, I guess they're both technically human time. I don't know, but but one of them is independent. That's of if the you other. assume Satoshi's and, a human. Uh, yeah, big assumption. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you want to know, like, who it is? Do you want to know? No. Eh. Yes, of course, everybody wants to know. Do I <clears throat> Do I want it to be... Po- do, you, do you want everyone no. to know? Um, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I think it was Hal Finney. Um, yeah? That's my guess. Do you have thoughts on who it was? Yeah. No, not yeah. really. I had some thoughts on who it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know. Yeah, I don't know. Could I? Yeah. How seemed yeah. to have gotten it way too quickly, but that would also be a tell that it isn't Satoshi, because if the real Satoshi would probably lay in the brush and act stupid. His wife would know, though, wouldn't she? How would she? Hal's wife? How would she have known? Ah, she must have known. Could have just been in his office working away. Don't you think it like pops up at dinner? <laughs> right. Hey, honey, I'm uh, <laughs> about to launch the most revolutionary technology that's hit the earth in quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've I've invent you know I've I've used used Adam Bax's Hashcash to invent a system of intergalactic asynchronous timekeeping. NBD. <laughs> well, let's get back to this. Gnocchi is fantastic. Let's, let's get back to this asynchronous asynchronous timekeeping. Like how how important is difficulty adjustment in all this? Um. Well, I mean, the the difficulty adjustment is important in that it keeps the block time in synchrony with, uh, you know, human human time. So such that the block blocks are more or less the the same frequency um, over time, at least. See, like, see how, how language plays into this. You know, you say things like over time. It's like which time? Which time? Yeah. You know? Man. See, I've heard. I've, make a new I've heard the production of blocks <laughs> described as a metronome, which has a time aspect to it. I would. Yeah, yeah. Metronome does like the the swinging of the pendulum. Um, well, represents work also. Well, at least well, it represents re- release of the work that you put in when you like pulled it off. Yeah. Well, then so. this gets into because. This has always fascinated me, the concept of of meeting in the at a future block height instead of instead of meeting at twelve o'clock next Wednesday, mm. meeting at block mm-hmm. six hundred where are we at right now? We're block six forty five, four five one. If we were to say let's meet at block six hundred fifty thousand. Um Yeah. It would be much harder to plan long term at least. Right. And and short term, um, than like normal atomic clocks. Well, then like, but that gets but, uh, but can markets meet at that block height? Like that's another thing. Like talking about derivatives products, particularly like hash rate derivatives. 
do you settle them? Mm-hmm. Like everybody, like the CME close is coming up this week. Like, would that go away? I feel like you have to. I, I feel like you'd have to settle it in block time. Um, I, I, again, like you know, what, what, what's the oracle that you're going to choose? Are you going to choose the? You know, we we've had this like discussion a little bit back and forth in that um, in the in the hash rate derivatives group. It's like, what do you use? Do you use do you use hash rate or do you use difficulty? And wh- when do you settle? Do you settle in people time or do you settle in block yeah. time? So I think you. These are interesting. I think questions. you have to use difficulty, right? Because it's more set in stone. Difficulty at the time of an adjustment. Right. Yeah, I mean th- that's where I lean to, uh, and, and I guess it's like it's a bit of like you know block time cleanliness, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. will. Like to me, it, it seems messy to settle things outside of the internal clock of a system when what you're settling is something that the system is giving you at a time of its own determination you know yeah and the fact that between adjustments you're completely guessing at the hash rate right it's an estimate at best yeah right yeah no absolutely um absolutely uh and 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 i guess if you're if you're doing it by the hash rate then aren't you just at the end of the day using the same exact calculation of the hash rate as the protocol is which is blocks found over a certain amount of human time um, and then compare that to like was this two weeks or not yeah no it, it, it kind of is the same calculation isn't yeah it? just with some other parameters maybe but why even choose other parameters and like the blockchain is such a good oracle too it's the best oracle everybody's got everybody's yeah. got access to it right right you can verify it yeah yeah but then again like I, i'm you know i don't run derivatives exchanges like i don't know what kind of like real world um issues you run into you know uh, outside of our like uh block block bitcoin blockchain purism here well this sort of digs at quite like is bitcoin fundamentally going to change financial markets like, like i was trying to allude to earlier you're going to have these cme closes these three months one month yearly contracts or is a whole new derivative structure going to be built around block height and, and difficulty which i i want that to happen it makes a lot of sense to me intuitively mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i can't yeah i mean it it sh- it should be good for the programmability of these types of like derivatives. Yeah. And then like, uh, there's so many layers can go to this. Like, I mean, could people even question yeah. the efficacy of these potential markets? Like, can they be ma- manipulated too much by the supply chain of hash rate? I guess, but like, you know, touching on an interesting and important concept here like what even is manipulation it's such a fuzzy concept um like i mean every every interaction you have with with the with the, with 
the pricing system. It can be counted as manipulation if there's like a certain intent behind it, you know? It's like the Bitcoin market gets uh, called out a lot for for being heavily manipulated, right? Like how do you manipulate it? Well, you, by buying and selling, okay? Which is the same thing that everybody else does in the market. So the only difference then is that somebody was buying and selling with an intention that someone has to dig out of them, essentially. Yeah, and on top of that... And I'm not talking about spoofing right now. Although, you know, even spoofing, like, if, if you're putting, if you're putting, like, real orders in the order book, you are taking on a risk that, like, someone's going to buy or sell into them un unless you have some, like, unfair um, latency advantage, right? Where you're able to like pull your bids before they get executed, which you know, and that actually, that's, that's yeah, I get, and that sketchy on the part of the industry, and that gets into an interesting topic that Pierre Richard talks about a lot is like the the, the order book that you don't see, like the order book in people's minds. Um, they haven't moved their Bitcoin to an exchange, haven't put a bid or an ask, but they have that that price in their mind where they would move their coins to an exchange and sell or. And so the order book is much mm -hmm. bigger when you when you factor in the the intent of people to sell at a future price yeah. that haven't moved any of their Bitcoin yeah. to an exchange. Yeah, I, I think I think we're touching on a really important <coughs> and big big problem when when you're trying to like put you know the the, the valuation question in Bitcoin comes up like quite a lot and it's something that we're like grinding our heads at in the at Coinshares research. Um, and <laughs> I, th I think you kind of run into this same exact issue in all assets that have, um, that have a really high stock uh, and a really tight band of liquidity relative, like ongoing liquidity relative to the stock. Um, you know, I, th I think we see this in gold, like, uh, James Butterfield, one of our research strategists, he, he's done a lot of work on uh, on valuing gold uh, in, in some of his previous uh, gigs. And, you know, he always says, like, supply and demand doesn't seem to have any interesting bearing on the price of gold. Uh, and one wonders if it's because so much of it is sitting in these stocks in the in the sort of um, idea world order book, right? The the one that isn't physically manifested, but is there nevertheless. Um, and the fact that so much gold or Bitcoin can come onto the market at at, at pretty short notice, right? Based on on, on this internal uh, idea world order book just complicates the, the matter like tremendously because how are you gonna possibly ever measure every single participant's you know much less the sum of every participant's own idea of how they value that asset versus everything else it just becomes like such a difficult calculation problem yeah and then it and then it comes back to the manipulation thing too. Like even if you had an attempt to manipulate, those 
external factors. Like it's like the Mike Tyson quote: everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. Like yeah, um, yeah, you can go out with that intent, but you have no idea what others, people you don't know who own that same asset are going to do with it at any given point in time. And that's what really, mm-hmm. that's what really, being in mining particularly, that's that always, like the whole mining FUD and manipulation. Like I don't think the incentives will ever line up where miners would attack the network just because individual miners have no idea where another miner on any part of the world is at their in their journey to set up their machines or turn them on or turn them off. Like you could attempt Mm -hmm. to manipulate it, not knowing that somebody bought thousands of machines is going to turn them on at once at any given point in time. Yeah. Yeah. The game theory just doesn't seem to line up in terms of miners attacking the network. Um, I mean, when, when Halsu and, um, and uh, James Presswich and um, who was the third guy? I always forget. Brandon, what's his last name? I don't remember. When when they like formalized their um, that equation for the attack cost, which included um, which included the reduction in the future value of uh, your mining earnings as like the single largest component um, of a a potential minor attack on the network like that that realization which i think a lot of people had intuitively uh but when they like actually put that onto paper like it it became like really clear to me that the, the 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 stock of capital like the the miners this themselves and again back to the language thing like what is a miner like is it the is it the box is it the operation is it the person who owns the operation like we need to we we need to do a, a big job on uh, on terminology actually in this space we we need to agree on a bunch of things that we don't agree on like full node versus validating do- validating node versus like auditing node versus like fast you know it, it's just like I, I see so many conversations in this space like go right past each other because we're actually not talking about the same thing and therefore we cannot possibly come to agreement. Um, but, you know, in any case, back to what we were saying, like the the devaluation of the prepaid Bitcoin, which, you know, the, the capital expenditure of buying mining equipment actually is, the devaluation of that gear being the biggest cost in a potential mining scenario attack is pretty profound. Um, profound realization and uh so long as there isn't an a liquid market for renting hash power with the capability on the renter also to do whatever you want with that hash power so long as that doesn't exist yeah, I don't think the and and like why why would anyone be incentivized to like rent out their hash power if if this is like a possible thing that you know the renter can do with it? You know, it just doesn't make sense. So, I, I'm I'm with you on this. I I at least personally don't see how 
these incentives will, will ever line up and such. And also, like, don't you think it would have happened by now? Yeah, wouldn't it be more likely when the hash rate is lower and the network's arguably more susceptible to an attack like that? Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, and just yeah. like keep it simple, stupid. Why would anybody ever kill the golden goose? And the argument you'll get is, well, they could make a bigger profit shorting it in the short term. It's like, ah. I don't know if that short-term profit's worth it, especially if you're truly a Bitcoiner and you believe that the currency that those profits are denominated in is doomed to fail in the long run. Like, why would you even do that? Right, and like, think think about who the miners are. Like, the miners are probably like the most raging Bitcoin bulls that ever existed. Like, the fact that you're not only like bullish on Bitcoin to the point where you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy some. Uh, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go invest $100 million in, like, thousands of, like, machines from China, and then I'm going to set up this giant warehouse and take out, like, a, like, <laughs> mega, like, megawatt size like, long-term power contract, and just, I'm going to mine the shit, like, over, and then I'm going to make my money back over, the, like, the next two years. Yeah. Like, yeah, you get you get locked in <sighs> to low time preference, and, again, the upfront capital alone makes it too much of a risk again getting going back to the fact that you never have any idea what other miners around the world are doing like the the risk reward doesn't make any sense to me and then mm-hmm. this is something that we're exploring at gam too i can't get too far into it yet but we'll talk about it more in the future but there i th- there may be a security budget outside of the block reward that's all i'll say um via what you can do with some of the types of energy that are being consumed via miners mm-hmm. uh, well yeah i mean uh i i i guess it it amounts to it amounts to uh, getting more hash for your costs so which is the you know the the long-term like goal if you will of or, the uncoordinated like mining network is it's, like it's, getting more hash it's more sats for your hash outside of the block yeah, reward right yeah. right because yeah. like the more hashes like the more hashes you can like put in for your reward feeds like in my opinion directly into the, the value proposition of the whole thing um and especially, like, the cheaper energy you have, like, the, the more secure the thing gets over time. Yeah. Because, like, if you're attacking it, you, per definition, don't have that cheapest source. And if you did, why aren't you just mining it? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, simple, simple question. Like, what's the easier path? What's the path of least resistance? That attack or simply mm-hmm. mining? seems like a lot of effort to try to attack the network right do you think fusion's ever going to be a thing i think so i mean why why wouldn't it be why wouldn't we expect it to be if you're looking at the arc of human progress over time i mean some things are just practically not possible You know, so I don't know enough about that to, to like opine on, you know, it's kind of like quantum computing. Like, is that like really going to be a thing? 
or is it like fusion that it's like oh it's always 50 years away yeah you know perpetually no i really like bob mackerel's take on on uh on mm-hmm. quantum computing that was sort of an eye-opener that's something mm-hmm. that's always lingered in the back of my mind is something to be worried about but he has a good case that we probably shouldn't be worried about it yeah yeah we we did a follow-up call actually with him because like he should he he needs to write that paper right it's right. one of the biggest causes of fud in bitcoin yeah. i know i know it's but it's such a complex issue it's like you know we we get that objection like quite a lot and um we get it from like potential institutional clients too you know like it's it is a serious concern on on parts of many and you know, I want to tackle it like myself, but at the same time, I'm like, fuck, like I gotta know my own limitations. You know, like I can't like write on literally fucking everything. <laughs> well, let's jump into this. Like, how does your research team? How do you how do you lead this research team? How do you decide what to focus on? I think I'm really thankful and happy that you guys put out that piece last year about the energy consumption and the energy sources for bitcoin mining i think that's a huge huge arrow in the quiver to shoot back at people who screech about bitcoin's energy consumption um mm-hmm. how yeah we we, we 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 might come back with that um they're on those those papers are on pause right now while we concentrate on on some other stuff like you know the, the the way we effectively choose like what we concentrate on right now is so we we had a pretty big internal restructuring happening this winter we brought on uh, a lot of new guys in the sales and distribution team and like we consolidated research more closely into the distribution team so now you know we're we're fully focused on institutional sales and so a lot of what uh, we've concentrated on research-wise this year is um, specific objections or questions that we get fielded a lot that tends to hamper the, you know, progression of prospective investors from, you know, like we 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 quantified in levels. So you know, level zero, like you're you're hearing about this for the first time. You know, level one, you're like, oh, this is interesting, you know, so forth, so on with like level four representing um, investment directly in one of our uh, exchange traded products. So like taking investors through this journey um, requires that you like deal with a bunch of concepts. So uh, this actually ties into like why I ended up on this like uh, time rabbit hole, uh, which is that you know, th- this is part of like a Bitcoin, not blockchain series, uh, which just looks to clarify, uh, you know, for an intelligent, educated, informed audience of, you know, investment managers, like what problems do blockchains actually solve, uh, which should very easily lead you into like, okay, well, which problems do they not solve, right? And then whether or not you are then interested in, you know, oh, like blockchain technology has like uh, an IT uh, cost reduction potential across like whatever industries it is that you think it's going to affect, right? If you have that thesis um, 
and you come to like a, a real actual understanding of like what blockchains the data structure achieve and at what cost it achieves it i think that's going to help people quite you know far along in figuring out like what is their own thesis how does it fit into this space you know there's there's like you said there, there's a lot of um i wouldn't call this fud it just call it like uh semi-disinterested misinformation you know not necessarily like um it's not like evil or you know on purpose or whatever it's just like people haven't considered this important enough to like put enough of their mental capacity on it to do like a proper deep dive partly because you know information in the space is very difficult to access there's also quite a lot of at least possibly unnecessary ideological uh mingling of concepts so what we've been trying to do now is first of all we we try to curate uh which is probably like one of the biggest values we can add is that like me in particular like i've been in the space long enough like i have a really good view on who writes the good stuff where it is how you access it and you know how you should interpret it um in the context of everything else that's been written in this space uh i think if you're like a normal investor guy you know in your uh in your office in like the city of london or you know manhattan or wherever it is that you are i think this space feels like pretty impenetrable um research wise there aren't that many well-known solid actors like there are a bunch of solid actors um there's aren't that well known so basically what we've been working on this year is like listing out um the most common objections that we get or the most common questions that need answered and then we're just going to go at them one after the other right and uh you know some of the some of the probably the most interesting stuff we've done this year is actually done by uh james butterfield uh, one of our research strategists he he wrote um he wrote a paper like a few weeks back uh called a little bitcoin goes a long way where we where we go a little bit deeper into like bitcoin's role in a portfolio and again highly recommended read um in general if this is something that interests you like we we basically took it a little further than what we've seen done previously um you know and and we analyze uh in some depth the 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 benefits that you get from from a very small allocation of bitcoin right so for example if you take a normal 6040 portfolio you allocate 4% bitcoin to it that's only a 100 basis point increase in your risk budget right so your volatility only increases by 1% um but for that you get a massive increase is yeah. that 4% weighted evenly between the 6040 okay mm-hmm. split evenly uh so you know you you get a 1% increase in your volatility but you get a massive increase in your sharp ratio you get a massive decrease in your correlation so which is you know beneficial uh for for those listening who don't get that intuitively you want the lower co- uh, correlation among assets in your portfolio you want that high sharp ratio um, as well 
Yes, right? So not only do you get, like, you know, massively increased pure returns, but you get uh, solidly increased risk-weighted returns, too, in your Sharpe ratio. Then you get a decreased uh, correlation. And what we also show is that Bitcoin is a much better diversifier than a lot of other um, diversifying assets that, that could be used in its stead. Like, so we use, for example, gold uh, and we use the, the social media index, um, SOCL. And for example, uh, to get, I, I'm, I'm taking this off memory, so, you know, don't kill me if I get this slightly wrong, but I believe for you to get a, for example, a 30% reduction in correlation, no, sorry, a 20% reduction in correlation. Uh, you only need like 5% uh, Bitcoin, but you need like a, like four times the amount of gold, for example, in your portfolio to achieve the same diversification benefits alone. That's not even, you know, thinking about uh, increased uh, returns or, or sharp ratios. So, you know, we, we, we get this like issue a lot. It's like, how does Bitcoin fit in a portfolio? Um, well, actually it fits really well, <laughs> especially if you want a good diversifier and uh um and uh return driver and you know this this diversification benefits and the increases in sharp ratio so long as you rebalance right and you you have an active risk mitigation strategy like that so long as you rebalance this holds even if you backtest um this data back to the worst possible time in terms of bitcoin price like at the peak of like, 2017 uh 2017 yeah so you know, that, that's, that's been one of the focuses that we have. Um, you know, an, an, another one has been, uh, it's been this like, um, you know, what about blockchain, right? So it's, it's part of my next big focus. Then we, we, we see the, the ESG thing, you know, it, it's always at the horizon. Uh, we, we want to do something there too. Uh, those reports that we put out were, extremely labor intensive um so we can't prioritize them now we also had some reshuffle reshufflings like i i lost the primary mining analyst that i had on the desk before who did a lot of like the you know the knuckle work on this which which is a lot of just ongoing monitoring of everything um you all know how hard it is to keep up on the mining space it's famously opaque and full of half truths and bragging and yeah. you know so we're hoping that we can do something uh in that space going forward uh hopefully we can we can sort of stand on the shoulders of some uh, some other giants in the space i'm really bullish on what appleine is doing over at cambridge um if she can get that sorted, like be such a massive feather in her hat and also such a huge like value add for that like argument section of Bitcoin. Um, if, if they can get ongoing like geodata from the pools to the point where we can pinpoint like the geographical regions where the mining takes place, like using I, and here I think our methodology, our model is better than any other model that I've seen out there because, you know, we look at this from a, a regional uh, point of view in the large countries, right? So, you know, you, you can't just take the renewables penetration of the U.S. and then find the hash rate of the U.S. Like the U.S. is 50 different countries. 
um, each one of them. I mean, there some have their some states have their own grids. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, as we're, as we're on this journey, a great American mind, like we we are. There's so much nuance, state to state. Like you talk to somebody in Wyoming, you talk to somebody in North Dakota, you talk to something in Texas. There are three completely different situations. Absolutely. And then you know you have this like burgeoning uh, flare gas industry happening right now. And uh, if if you're going to go the, you know, we we never attempted to, for example, calculate uh, things like um, like carbon footprint, just because it's it's like a bit out of my wheelhouse. Like I know how hairy those calculations are for my previous job, and I just didn't want to get into it. Um, it's too difficult. Um, so, but there are other teams out there that have much better competence for this. Like, for example, the, those researchers out of Germany. Um, I forget what their names are, but uh, they have a much me- better better methodology for calculating carbon footprint. But have a much worse methodology for pinpointing um, what the carbon footprint should be. Uh, on a country level because they they do country level right so that completely misses the point that you know mining isn't done equally across china or the u.s or canada or russia it it flocks to where the energy is cheap and the energy tends to be cheap where there is abundant uh, access either hydro or you know in the case of north america in particular it's like extremely rich and low-cost gas fields so not to mention wind, uh, you know, particularly in Texas. So it just misses out on very, in my opinion, important grand granularity. And I would love to find some way to like combine all these methodologies. Like I want to mix like our regional uh, calculation methodology for renewables penetration with a type of more higher uh, resolution geodata like from for example cambridge if we can do that then i think the esg at least from the e side of esg uh, should be from there on out just a simple question of value judgments you know let's just get the numbers and then we'll take the the moral or the value judgment debate afterwards. But, you know, let's not start with disagreeing on the numbers. It just makes everything annoying. Yeah. No, it's, it's tiresome too. It's, uh, mm-hmm. and it, well, even like, so I'm just like my mind's running right now. Like if you're using like IP, like especially here in the States in North Dakota and the Bakken and the Permian, especially in Texas where it's like dense, like some of these oil fields are, or next to grids, but you could be mining off grid. And so you have to weigh the opportunity cost of if you flared that gas versus turning it into Bitcoin, you have to make the argument that the sats are more productive than burning that gas, which is I think a pretty easy argument to make. Um then you get into like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like what fucking value do you get out of burning it? Like I mean, you're you're just ridding yourself of a liability. Well I, I guess. guess the argument would be but you're doing that in either case. Yeah, but the argument would be that like Bitcoin as a whole, the fact that you're doing it with that gas that would have been wasted and contributing to this network that's consuming all this energy beyond that gas that would have otherwise been wasted, like incentivizing uh, production outside 
or consumption, excuse me, outside of that flare, right? You get what I'm saying? Are are you though? Like, wouldn't you say that you know? Because this is an argument that we get a lot from like the 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 crowd who's like, oh, Bitcoin runs on renewables. Yeah, well, you know, when Bitcoin uses those renewables, it's just displacing other people who wanted those renewables, and they now have to use fossil fuels, right? And I mean, first of all, that doesn't make sense. But you know, secondly, this to me this kind of sounds like that argument in in reverse, in that like when you are using that energy that would otherwise be wasted and putting it towards the Bitcoin mining network, then you are bumping out a bunch of more expensive energy that otherwise would have been used to mine Bitcoin. Right. So no, I agree. I'm right, and I'm uh yeah, I was playing devil's advocate trying to put that argument forward. I think I think it's a no brainer. Wow. Dude, and I mean, someone at some point, I really hope, uh, are gonna make the 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 sort of it's like you you have this like calculation that we always try to do. We're trying to measure like uh, like the carbon output or whatnot of everything that we do. But with flare mining, like you have to actually do that whole thing in reverse, right? Because all of a sudden, like Bitcoin becomes like a net, like a net carbon positive, um, or maybe not net, but you know, it becomes like at least part of it becomes like a, a, a carbon positive um, calculation that you have to make. Of course. Like how much? Yeah, it, it's like you know, wh wh when you're taking that otherwise wasted energy and putting it to good use, you are then allowing energy at the opposite end of the cost spectrum for mining to be you know used for something else if there's even a demand for it right um and then you then need to subtract that saved energy at the other end from the carbon budget if you will of bitcoin and that's an that's a calculation that i don't i, I don't think anyone is even like thought of well then it gets compounded it, I mean people must have it gets compounded too uh to a degree because let's say we get to a bitcoin standard then you get to the reduction in misallocation of capital and how much does that affect the carbon right. footprint so there's like a compounding effect with the monetary policy Yeah no absolutely absolutely And I mean the 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 other thing that you're doing is that you're you're uh, you're lowering you're lowering the cost of energy in in other places of the earth where there is more of a competition right so say that i'm say that i'm sitting here in, in london you know strictly hypothetically and i'm mining on you know whatever grid there is here with whatever power production sources that exist here you know i am actively competing for that energy i'm 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 paying a certain price, right? Then you come in on some gas field in North America. You use gas that cannot possibly reach me economically. It's impossible. Like you cannot get it here at a price that is lower than what I'm already paying. So now you take over the role as a miner. You bump me off of the network. And then the energy that I am now not using here, which is of higher value because I'm paying more for it, 
now gets allocated to something more useful, pretty much by definition. And that is going to be a super powerful thing as well, because Bitcoin mining does that. It takes energy from where it's the least wanted um, and it transports it back into like markets where it is more wanted. Although, you know, you, you could argue that us eating it up in the first place is, uh, is already a, a, a bad thing. A net negative. Yeah. yeah. Is it yeah. though? I don't buy that. Neither do I. No, like. of course not. I, I don't buy that at all. Like, um, uh, I mean, simply from the fact that people are willing to pay for it, uh, that's enough for me. Like, if you're if you're willing to pay for the the current mining cost, which we bear th mainly through uh, inflation, right? If you're willing to bear that as a Bitcoin holder, then that's already that's all I need to know. That means you have made that choice as a consumer, and that is your free will like there's nothing i can say about that in terms of what should or should not happen there's none of my business but it's your business yeah i completely agree it's people are so emotional about the energy consumption though outside of bitcoin it's yeah. it's crazy did you hear uh uh have you seen like the world economic forum and the world health organization pivoting and saying that uh COVID-19 is now a climate it's uh highlighting how bad the climate crisis is sorry what COVID-19 is what doing it's highlight it's highlighting the fact that the climate crisis is as pressing as ever um the fact that we need to unite as a as a global uh, community to, to fight back against these these hidden forces is this part of their like whole great reset meme? Yes, yes. Like who died and made the World Economic Forum the conductor of the world? I don't know. Do you guys go to Davos? Have you ever been there? I haven't, no. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I would do there. I would get all freaked out. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to contain myself. I feel like you have to wear a suit there. You definitely do. Hey, you're a headshot. You look good in a suit, man. <laughs> yeah. Outside of that picture, I can't imagine you in one, though. I, I'm actually not going to shit on suits. Like, suits are pretty great. Like, they're like, I mean, if you have a good suit, it's like wearing, like, sweatpants. I know. Uh, and I like when I look good in a good suit. It's a good feeling. Yeah. It's a good confidence booster. Yeah. You, it also changes like your entire uh, like physical behavior, in my opinion. It's like you, you can't like slop around like when you're wearing a suit. You know, you gotta act sharp as well. It's like you don't want to fuck your suit up. Right. Very uh, very calculated movements. Mm. Yeah, which is, I think that's good. Like calculated movement is uh, it's a good thing for people to to be into. You know, like I, you know, in a, in a distant future, uh, me and, uh, me and at least one of my brothers hoping to get the other one in on this too, but we have like, uh, kind of like, uh, 
distant business dream of creating like kind of like uh, a school like the schools were back in the day like the school of athens you know the academy it's much more of a holistic thing like it can be outside of like the it's like we're gonna we would have to do this in norway where we're from right where there's you know private schools is like not really a thing um so it'd have to be like an extracurricular thing but you know in norway kids are done at um 2 school really and yeah, and, and you don't do like after school sports or anything like that. Like sports is a is a private matter that you do mainly like after dinner, which is at you know four thirty because people are done at work at like three thirty. Really? In Norway. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. start. I mean, start at seven or eight. Done at like three or what four. Would, what would that. the curriculum be like? Well, it would be holistically oriented, right? So it have to be it have to be a little bit of everything. Uh, so we we have a lot of work to do there, but I feel like there is there's it, it, it would basically be like plugging the holes of the of the you know state sponsored education as we see it, which which those the the, the biggest gaping holes are, in my opinion. Um, philosophical ethics moral metaphysics you know uh, a person's place in the world like what is the point of living what are you going to do in your life um and why well i think like i was gonna say i think you kill trying to like instill a bit of a purpose right and that's why i'm very happy my parents sent me to a high school where it was mandatory to learn and to learn Latin and then translate old texts. Um, Cause I think you killed mm. two birds at one stone there. I would add to that curriculum, like etymology, like uh, how did language come to mm-hmm. be and how's it, how's it evolved yeah. over time? And I think learning Latin, I never got into Greek. I was too big of a pussy. I, just, I wish I would have, have taken Greek classes, but Latin learning the structure of language and where it evolved from, I think is important. And the fact that words have very, have definitions and very specific definitions. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Some Greek, some Latin, some Sanskrit. Everybody should. Yeah. Everybody should translate the Catalan conspiracy, just to uh, to learn about logic and rhetoric. I, I I like that. I mean, I've never gotten into those languages myself, but I I always kind of wanted to. But yeah, like I I mean I feel like epistemology super important um back in the day at, at least when you went to university it, it, it was mandatory to go through classes on like the history of thought the history of at least western um uh, how, how do you even call it in english like uh idea idea science you know like how how do we arrive at like truth? What is truth? Um, I don't. I, I rushed over. I think you might it. Um, I think you might have covered your mic or something. Oh yeah. I don't even know where where I. Like, You're like sound. Your sound just died. You're coming in very uh, very low. Did your headphones die by chance? Yeah, something's going on with your sound. That's where my mix 
on still? It's like very faint. I can barely hear you. Maybe it's mine. <laughs> There's all there is to it. Yeah, I don't even know where I cut off. I, I think I was complaining about uh, like the, the philosophy of uh, of knowledge just isn't really taught anymore. And uh, I, I think it gives a lot of people issues in uh, in day-to-day -day life in that if, if you don't if you don't think about like what truth is, then it's very hard to have like um, a well-developed relationship to it. And um, I don't know. I've, I've been thinking a little bit lately about, you know, at least I, f I find that the focus these days is, uh, is very much on everybody trying to push their own beliefs on others as a way of making the world better and there is not enough focus on you know why don't you start with yourself and try to make sure that you at least embody the values that you want to see in the world and you know you act in a way that exemplifies the type of behavior that you want to see um and been like thinking about this concept of like you know being a human full node like actually verify <laughs> like you know if, if, if you take your current state of your, your current state of all your sums of what you believe and what you believe you know to be like the utxo database uh, by analogy then have like to which extent have you verified your own utxo database of, of your mind like to which extent have you actually gone through and verified the beliefs you hold from first principles like from genesis um and i've been at least like wanting to first of all like be better at doing that myself and then this would be part of like what i would love to have in in like an extracurricular like program like that it's just like and, and it all feeds into like certainty about your own beliefs and where you stand. And I, I think that helps people in life in general to have a purpose and to have confidence in what they're doing, being the things that they want to do and the things that they should do. So, you know, striving to be a human full node. Are you saying I need to be able to read and understand the Bitcoin core code repository? If I want to be a Bitcoiner, I allocate a lot of that, that knowledge to people I believe know more than I do. Mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. that they do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's like, a, it's an aspiration rather than a physical possibility. Um, but at, at the very least, people should do it with respect to their own ethics because um, I think that that is like upstream from so much of everyone's behavior and everyone's general interaction with life that at least finding like your moral bedrock and the foundations of your own ethics and like being comfortable with what it is and 
and what that means in terms of deductions and where where it, it, it would take you uh, in terms of avoiding contradiction um, with what you espouse and what you support and ultimately feeding into politics I think I also think that's like a, it's a necessity it's a necessity of a democracy right a democracy rests on having an informed body of voters I worry well, about that yeah this summer in the United States has proven that there aren't very well informed voters I mean the hypocrisy think, of of the yeah. whole "Quote unquote equality movement." Uh, that's 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 been unraveled this summer. Really highlights the fact that people don't even understand what they're trying to do. Yeah, and and also back to like the meaning of words, right? And I've I've heard this like slowly switching over the last couple of months. You know, it was equality first, and now it's turning into equity. And I'm like, okay, now we're talking about two completely fucking different things. Uh, and you can't just like make a switch like that. And, you know, it, they sound the same, so, you know, you should be equal for them. <laughs> but people equate them with each other. Huh. Yeah, they do. They do. People equate equality and equity. Yeah, I know. Fuck, is it, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's one of the, it's either like, it, it's one of the big Austrians that have an excellent quote on this, uh, which basically just demonstrates that you cannot at the same time optimize the society for equity and equality. You can only do one. And this is proven uh, out in individuals. This is Thomas Sowell quote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That guy's fucking... You don't even have equity within your own Unknown family. Unknown hidden badass. Right. Between right. your brothers and sisters. Like. No. I mean, you, you don't even have, like, equity in your own life between different times. Like, th th that's how uncertain the world is. Like, you don't fucking know what's going to happen. But people need to also, like, relinquish this illusion of control. You know? There is no control. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, no, not to get caught up in like the the deeper question there of like, is there even free will? But I do think that e even if you do have like individual agency over yourself and like the choices that you make in your life, the vast majority of everything that ever happens to you is completely out of your control has nothing to do with anything that you've ever done or could do or whatever. But, and, and, and that, in, that in itself is enough to show that, like, we cannot, like, optimize for everything having, everyone having, like, the same outcome in life. How on earth would we do that? I mean, anybody with an IQ above 80 should be able to tell it's like literally impossible. And so mm -hmm. go back to free will. I guess you only have free will in the sense that you can react to the things that you can't control. The only free will you have is the way you react to certain things. Yeah. I mean, 
but you can even argue that like a lot of reactions i mean a lot of reactions are purely mechanical you know like yeah, well uh, yeah it's another thing like the fear reaction of the media narratives that we're seeing it play out now. But this gets back to the whole first principles, understanding truth. Like if you are equipped with the ability to think from first principles and know how to be a truth seeker, I guess you would have more free will than others potentially. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, doing full circle here, like this is part of like what I was trying to like get towards, like, getting into neurophysics i was trying to like figure out you know like what is the neural basis of all of this like where does where does consciousness like fit into this and, and where does like free will if that even is a thing like where does that even come into this because the nervous system at least like the way we understand it is it's purely mechanical um everything is governed by the same exact like physical laws of everything else at, at least as far as like i could get to it i mean there are there are some there are some proponents of there being like some sort of like quantum interactions in there um i can't remember who, who it was that said you know okay so so now you're like sprinkling randomness into determinism i mean that's fucking worse <laughs> like <Right. laughs> i'd rather have determinism where would the uh, where would the quantumness be between endpoints of synapses at the endpoints of synapses? Yeah, yeah. It 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 would it it would have to be it would have to be baked into like yeah. I I just don't see it. I I don't see that either. I mean, I, I I'm because the microtransmitters have to transmit something across. Yeah, it's not. It's not at both sides at the same time, the way I understand. But, and I've only taken yeah. a few biology of the brain classes. Yeah, no, exactly. Like neurotransmitters need to bind. Uh, I guess the question is like, does binding fall under, uh, just, you know, taking a step back, like the whole way you approach uh, physics at this normally at at this level, the nano level is through statistics, uh, because of like the uncertainty principle and the fact that like you cannot say anything interesting about single atoms or, you know, not really even about single molecules unless they're very very big. So I guess, I guess it's like a question of you know, do you consider? Like, how do you know if a single neurotransmitter has bound? Um, is there some form of like quantum uncertainty in there? Like, could could you consider could you consider like one receptor to be like a bit of a, a Schrodinger's cat type of thing? It's like it has a neurotransmitter there that's both bound and not bound at the same time until like you actually observe it through an action potential, you know, and like a little out, little, little out of uh, my, my quantum depth here, quantum physics was never really my thing, but e even so, like it just exchanges determinism for randomness. 
which I don't think it's like a net benefit in the debate on free will. It's like, what, what would you rather have? Do you want fate or do you want like coin toss? Right. Like you don't want any of those. (laughs) No. You want agency. (laughs) No, it's a scary thought to think about the potential to not have agency over your own life. It is. I I mean, I like to believe I have agency and that we do. It certainly feels like it, doesn't it? It does. But how many, like, I've, I've, I'm increasingly conscious of how many times I do an action and then I rationalize it afterwards that, oh, yeah, I meant to do that. Yeah, I planned that. And I catch myself having premonitions of future behavior like i i can hear my mind going you are about to say or do this right and i i like i'm aware of it and then you know i do it and then the question is like okay who who was that <laughs> who was that, that? Was you what was you yeah. are you getting the concept I, of deja vu here or i mean did i choose to do that or was that choice made by my body and again, super full circle back to, you know, what is consciousness in, in Eastern thought, uh, particularly the type that I subscribe to, like consciousness, like the, it is the experience it is, and it is will and an agency and all of these things at the same time. Um, and they don't even like, there's no like neuroscientific basis of any of that it is literal phenomenological self observation by many people that have observed the same thing and come to the same conclusion and my god would it be interesting to figure out like what the relation here is between the pure existence consciousness that is apparently the same in everyone and our bodies which is different in everyone yeah no and this is just making me think of the times i've taken acid and shrooms and it's changed the way you perceive reality and a different type of consciousness and right like so the have, body have you felt the one i feel like i have yeah Shrooms, particularly, not so much acid. Um, and like that—that that is that is the that is the proof um, that they keep like pointing out. They're like, this is maybe not provable in in uh, an objective way, but it is provable in a subjective way. Like anyone can verify it for themselves through experience normally the way you would have to do it is learning painstakingly how to med- how to meditate to get to a state where you can remove the input of your senses and you know what is left after you take the senses away is consciousness and I, I, I think that what you're describing is a potential shortcut to get there. Yeah. yeah. It just acutely highlights the fact that 
like tuned if you think like a radio or ham radio tuning mm. our body in a steady state just the way it is naturally is tuned to perceive the world in a certain way and then you add in the psychedelic that <laughs> changes your tune a little bit and you perceive the world completely differently um and consciousness differently it's, it's pretty interesting there's uh there's this particular school of um of non-dualistic hinduism that proposes that there are four states of consciousness one of them is the waking state which is the state that everyone shares and um experiences together then the next state is the state of um, dreaming sleep where you're conscious you are experiencing that sleep right then there is the state of dreamless sleep which you still experience even though you don't remember any of it but you know you still wake up and you're like wow i i slept so deeply you know i feel so great and then there is the fourth level which is neither waking nor sleep it is pure observation pure consciousness the point that they're making is that between these like different states of consciousness, you are the thing that is common between all of them, which is you, the observer. You are the observer of your waking state right now. You are the observer of your sleeping state some other time. You're, you know, you're the observer of the dream. You're the observer of your dream, deep dreamless sleep. Like the thing that, the thing that is constantly present throughout this is you, you know, you, the observer, and that is the essence of existence and consciousness in, in that way of thinking about it, which I think is a pretty incredibly profound way of thinking about what consciousness is. It is the state of existence itself, which is pretty fucking cool. And you know, in, in Western tradition, like the closest that I found uh, to like traditional accounts of this is like the Stoics mm -hmm. come very close to like this way of thinking about things. And then there are, there are some pretty interesting like modern researchers too. Uh, Douglas Hoffman, for example, is a really interesting guy who, and it, you know, I, I, I think this is like a case of, con, you know, convergent evolution. It's like people like coming to the same truth from different angles um, randomly or, or or just because that truth exists there. So inevitably like people are gonna come at it but from different angles and, and from different uh, backgrounds and experiences. Yeah. This is the most cosmic we've gotten on this podcast in a while. I love it. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. So I, I fucking love this I, conversation. I'll try this. I'll tie this back to Tool though. So like in their in their latest album, they have um, they have one song that like deals with this in depth. And um, I, I tweeted this the other day. I, I still hold it as my most profound tweet, and it only got one like. Um, and the the track is called Numa, and Numa is the the old Stoic uh, concept of spirit. Uh, it means breath in greek and uh in in that in that 
song, they, they basically lay out um, same type of metaphysics that is laid out in the shortest of all Upanishads, which is the Mandukya Upanishad, who um, certain traditions of, of Hinduism hold is, is alone sufficient for enlightenment. This like single Upanishad. It's the shortest one. Uh, and, and it's the one that lays out those like four states of consciousness and um, who you are in it and, and what your relation is with, uh, with the one. Uh, and in their latest album, like Tool essentially lays out the same metaphysical cosmology like in one track. So, you know, I tweeted that Numa is the Mandukya Upanishad of music and uh, yeah, no response. <laughs> I just like that tweet for you. You got two likes now. Thank you. It's a what are, like what are the lyrics to, like what are some of the, I, I'm not gonna have you sing the song. Yeah, no, like, it, it's it, just pointing out that you know we are spirit. Uh, like that is the essence. The flesh is not the essence. The essence is spirit, uh, and you know we we go around essentially with a shroud, like a, a delusion, uh, in front of us, in front of us, which is the the waking state. It's, it's not real. Um, but we all think it's real because like we share that reality. Um, but we're all essentially bound to reach beyond it and, and, and realize again, like what it is that we really are, which is, is not this, you know, like we aren't like our bodies and, and, you know, that also ties back to like, Enlightenment first, and everything else is a tool to get there. And money is a big fucking tool there. Right. And if the right. money is fucked, it is one of the most important tools. If that is fucked, it just ruins people's general prospects of enlightenment. Like, how do we get as many people towards enlightenment as possible? Well, material security is a huge part of that. How do we get material security for as many people as possible? Well, we have to have proper economic calculation that necessitates good money. Bitcoin follows directly from the search for enlightenment for as many people as possible. Sort of like enlightenment utilitarian, or not like utilitarianism, like the utility is boundless of enlightenment. It literally frees you from everything. Right, I mean, just look around. State of the culture today, pop culture, main culture, whatever you want to refer to, it's demonic almost. It's, it's people are it lost. Is. It is, and you know what is the devil? Like the devil is the senses, you know, and the pleasure, the mm -hmm. pleasure of the senses. That's yeah, very it hedonistic. Yeah, the, the devil is the deceiver, right? And the deceiver is the senses the senses deceive us they're the ones that make us believe that what we are is this this world but when i'm getting closer to enlightenment uh sort of set off some senses like this conversation like i'm getting like butterflies in my head it feels good 
feel like being yeah. intellectually stimulated. Senses will be stimulated. That's the word I would look for. It's recognizing, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, I, it, it, it is definitely like pleasurable to, to think about and like search for. I wouldn't say that I, I don't feel enlightened, but I'd really like to be. Like, no, I, I don't feel I, like, like I, I feel like, you know, I'm onto something, but I need that. I need that like observation, you know, I need that, the proof, that individual proof. I think it's going to take me a really long time to get there. There's a lot of training you need to do. Is that why a lot of Eastern cultures do monastic meditation? Um, that's what I'm looking for. Like where you just live by yourself. Exclusion, yeah. if you will. <laughs> Shake your computer again. I lost you. Are you serious? Oh, there, now you're back. Yeah, you're like laying your hand on your... But the, I mean, okay. It just went out again. I don't know what's going on. There you go. Is it better? Wait, wait like is now it it's better. better. Yeah. Now it's yeah, better. I swear to God. Yeah. We gotta call Peter Schiff for tech support. <laughs> How do I turn this off? He'll send us a Bitcoin password. Yeah. Yeah. But what if my computer loses it? Uh, it should be in your head, Peter. It should be in your head. <laughs> but yeah, man, that individual proof. Yeah, but it, it's interesting. Like the, the societies in the East are, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them are like built around this, like, like you said, this monastic culture where you choose to become a monk. Like the rest of society will, will, like, make sure that you have subsistence and you know, the minimum of material security that you need. And then the, like the philosophical, um, the philosophical setup that they use is such that, you know, the monks realize that they need to lay demand on as little as possible from society. Right. So, you know, you have like one, and, and this comes back to like non-attachment as well which I think a lot of us could do really well to, to practice, like to not get attached to everything. Attachment literally just causes problems. It, it really does. Right? And it's, it's almost ironic. We're talking about this in a Bitcoin context too, because the purity test and the attachment to um, Bitcoin ever, everything. That's like this week particularly is really highlighting it with the whole fucking INX thing. Like I can, whatever it happened. Dude, get see, over it it's like what whatever whatever <laughs> it's like fucking whatever and you know um th this is you know we talk about like bitcoin's immune system uh, mm -hmm. we got to be a little careful uh if your immune system is a little too riled up like you end up with allergies and you end up with autoimmune Clydoclysmic uh, shock as well, as possible. Like we, don't, we, we don't. We don't want that. Like, yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah. So, I, yeah, it is weird. But it, but it's like you know we we, we had this we, we we had this like heavy disease almost right like the ICO boom. It, it, it was such like a, 
it was such a, a, a tough experience for the for the community as a whole that I feel like we've developed this extremely strong like immune system, if you will. And it's almost it's almost a little too strong, like we you know. But but I do think it comes from a place of like genuinely wanting to protect people from themselves, which you know you can you can do that, but you can't make them. No, and that's I was part of that overreactive immune system at one point too, with that exact intention, like oh, I don't want anybody to get burned. But you just it's it's inevitable. Some people are going to get burned, and at the end of the day, if you have again going back to understanding things from first principles and truth if you if you understand bitcoin its incentive system and the flywheel that's been initiated like you should just be confident that it's going to succeed no matter what any of these alternative projects do like i i'm a true believer that bitcoin's inception cannot be replicated and never will be replicated in any launch after bitcoin is bastardized from the start um i, I mean I, I lean towards that too and that gives me enough confidence to to not worry about them, even though just from habit and the fact that the the project frustrates me beyond no end because there's no consistency. I do shit on Ethereum quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm all I'm all for like holding people accountable, um, but when you go down these like routes of like instituting morality on others like you really have to you really have to be free of sin if you want to cast the first stone so or cast any stones i'm i'm much more of a proponent of like get your own house in order um before shitting on others point out the real technical issues and you know don't get so fucking caught up in like being moralistic um the best way to teach ethics and morality is to embody it not to proselytize yeah and hey it's probably inevitable i'm gonna get i'm gonna get uh People may say I'm enabling a shitcoiner here because CoinShares has funds outside of Bitcoin funds. Um, sure, sure. But at the end of the day, you know, like, what what is our role in the market? Um, our role is to let consumers express their beliefs. Uh, we are not a gatekeeper of what people should or should not invest their own money in. Now, you can take a look at what, for example, the research desk will recommend, if you will, or not recommend, or just not say anything about uh, other than the pure technicals. I mean, if you Like, let me put it this way. Like, I personally wouldn't 
it, but it, it, it's like, you know, you're a research desk at, um, at any asset manager. Like, it's not an asset manager's role to curate uh, which stocks from the stock exchange, like, you, you offer to the clients. Like, the clients are the ones that should have choice. The research desk exists to inform the clients on the information that they need to make their respective choices. That is what we do, right? And if you look at what information we put out, like it, it doesn't say, you know, oh, XRP is going to fucking change the world. Like y'all need to buy it. Like to the extent that we talk about, for example, XRP at all, it's just to explain like, what is it? Um, how would this like fit within your thesis or not, you know? It, it doesn't take a view one way or the other. Like, you know, the, the old adage of like, don't tell me what you think, like, show me your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if, if people have asked, I mean, obviously, like, Quinters is a diverse group of people with different views and um, different understandings of the world and different predictions for how things are going to pan out. But, you know, ask ask individuals about their portfolio and you know you'll, you'll you'll get a much better view of like what it is that they're actually into themselves um but again like my views aren't necessarily views that i'm trying to push to our investors like and i don't need to i think that our investors are highly educated highly intelligent people for the most part and all i have to do to make them arrive at, you know, what I believe to be the the optimal set of conclusions, is to just show them the the same information that led me to those conclusions. You know, that, that's how I approach it. All we have no, to I... do is show the real information, and investors will come to their own decisions. So, I agree. I think I haven't looked at. The AUM of your of your different funds recently, but I think it it shows there. It's a bit of a Pareto distribution. Like uh, I think we have seventy five percent of our AUM in the Bitcoin product, twenty three percent in the Ethereum product, and like one. It's not even one percent actually. I think in uh, each of the Litecoin and XRP products, respectively. I think it's less. So. Yeah, it, it's not something that we're focusing on. I mean, they're there if investors want to express those views. Like, we don't, you know, we don't busy ourselves with that. But there's exactly zero institutional interest for it. And in our distribution team, like, what our focus is, is institutional clients. And I can tell you that I haven't mentioned XRP once to an institutional client because like they're not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but there is no interest for it. Uh, there is the occasional interest in Ethereum, but from like all the interactions that I, I've had with institutional clients, this includes like trillion dollar asset managers. Like it's Bitcoin that they want. Um, they know about Ethereum. They're curious about it. Other altcoins, it's just... I mean, 
they probably know about them and maybe they're too embarrassed to ask like i don't know but it's it never comes up yeah no i mean i i'm not gonna hold any of that shit against you it's just like again going back to like the purity test people are obsessed it's like some people feel the need to project in a certain way um it's virtue signaling though yeah it is it's our own it's our own super fucking hypocritical version of virtue signaling yeah I need to I need to do less of it yeah we all do towards Ethereum because I'm like confident they're never going to transition to 2.0 um and I mean even if they did like is that a net detriment? Like, is it? I, don't I, think I just so. feel like I, I don't I don't think Bitcoin and Ethereum are trying to achieve the same things. And again, like, how how do you put like goals on a protocol? Um, you know, what is the goals of the protocol? I guess like the collective, uh, the collective will of all of its users and developers can't even measure that um yeah do i think ether will ever be money probably not could it be some some form of like digital fuel maybe maybe how much use is there for um censorship resistant computation maybe a bunch maybe a bunch um is censorship-resistant computation necessary for a lot of the things that Ethereum is currently used for? Fuck no. <laughs> like, absolutely <laughs> right. not. Um, no one's going to censor your crypto kitties. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, a lot of those are, are more proofs of concept. Like, But things like, you know, prediction markets, that's like a it's a profoundly cool idea a prediction market and it is something you can easily see like authorities like going after um anything having to do with morals right like online gambling uh like smart contract gambling i feel like that could be a use case i mean everybody loves gambling uh and it's happens to be like pretty harshly like just prevented by a lot of governments uh, especially the ones that believe that it, it is their job to to instill their morals on on the, the population you know but then there's the question of like okay um how like does the execution here like really need to be like decentralized you know it I, and, and i honestly don't know the the answers to these questions like i my like my individual uh my individual sort of attitude to ethereum is that it it i'm not sure it's gonna work uh, i'm pretty skeptical to proof of stake proof of stake definitely doesn't do everything that proof of work does like that is a provable fact so you know it's it's, it's just all trade-offs right 
Like, what are you going to trade off? What are you going to trade off? I don't know. Like, if, if you really have to query, like, network time servers, then sorry, you got a central point of failure. Um, if, if the only way to protect yourself against, like, long-range attack is checkpoints, then, okay, you've changed the trust model. Like, is that necessarily, like, bad for what they're trying to achieve? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think so long as, like, money is literally verifiable from Genesis, if decentralized computation isn't necessarily, like, verifiable from Genesis, like, uh, does it have to be? Like, how important is this calculation? Like, what are we calculating that needs to be, like, this secure and censorship-resistant and decentralized? Like, I don't know the answer to those questions. So I try not to... I try not to project my views on everybody else there. I just don't feel like my views are particularly interesting for other people to hear on this yeah. subject. I'm, I'm interested. Now, and that computational quip there, do you need it back to Genesis? Yeah, like a, a computation, right? You only need it to work when you need it to work. And is it dependent on the computations that came before it? And, uh, like it shouldn't be, right? It should be a formula. Right? I mean, if you're going from one state to another, like, yeah, I don't know. It's smarter people than me need to figure this out, and I feel like it will be figured out, and I feel like the market is just going to deal with it, and I don't really have anything to say about it other than, like, where I put my own money. Uh, and that's how I express my view primarily, other than just trying to learn literally the facts about how these systems work and how the functioning of those systems relate to um, what it is that is being espoused in terms of like future achievement. But, but again, like here is where like Ethereum ha has a bit of like an issue in, in that it is such a wide and big thing and, and it is this big community now too like you know bitcoin just tries to be money and that's all it does but bitcoin does but ethereum is just they're doing so many things um and, and that inevitably turns into changing narratives and then it's like who is it that chooses these narratives it's like developers and then they have like a foundation you know, it just complicates things. It makes, but it just makes them so fundamentally different that, like, I question, like, the point of even, like, trying to compare them, like, one for one like that. Like, are we just wasting our time? Like, should we be, like, trying to that's, get enlightened instead? <laughs> yes, we probably should. No, that's why I'm so happy I've completely dove head first into the mining rabbit hole because there's enough to think about and discuss and proof of work and mining and the incentive system alone. You get you, distracted from all that. Yeah, you have to go down that rabbit hole though. Because like, without mining there is no Bitcoin. And without proof of work there is no fucking mining. I think, I don't know if you'd be surprised, but 
I don't think a lot of people have gone as far down the rabbit hole as they probably should be going down. I know, and like even like you know, like when I read that article by Gregory Trebetskoy, like I thought I was like down the mining rabbit hole, but I was just scratching the fucking surface. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hadn't even dug a hole. It's. Uh... I mean, the the hole takes you down the time question. You know which which takes you down a bunch of other questions of like relativity and like what, what consciousness is, yeah right like what even is time and what is consciousness and all of this right how does it relate to time well that gets to full circle like i think you were alluding to it in the beginning of this conversation like the singularity is bitcoin uh a vehicle through which we, we get to the singularity in a certain way or another. Do you, you believe the, in the singularity? The computational singularity? Yeah, like the merging the, of humans and machines. Well, in, in terms of like the, the merging of like artificial intelligence and humans. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that begs the question of you know, because what, what the the presupposition in that statement, back to you know, words and language, like in the Western tradition, like what do we mean when we say AI in that full sense is artificial consciousness, right? But we tend to mix up consciousness and intelligence in the West. We like we blur them, like, and they probably shouldn't be together. Like intelligence is one thing, consciousness is another thing, right? It's um, back to so, equity equality. It's very similar. Yeah, and and you know if if you don't split them apart, like you, confusion follows, right? Like you can't you can't like clearly reason about them. So, so back to like, will we see a merging of like human and artificial consciousness? Well, I think that begs the question of were they ever separate? And I think the answer to that is no. Uh, they were always the same. Um, and if there is a merge of any kind, it is the it would have to be the the dual realization on both ends that no we're actually the same. Um, so but I think first we need to work on the the realization just between humans that we are the same. Yeah. We have different bodies. Yeah. And we need tools to help us be able to focus on enlightenment. Right? We need tools. Yeah. Bitcoin is such a tool. Tool is another tool. Right. Like Bitcoin would be if it's like if it hits mass adoption and it is successful and we figure out so that's one uh one piece of homework I would like to give your research department is putting the uh the fee market FUD to, to rest. Could you please do that? Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. We're gonna try our our best stab at it too. It's it's on my list. <laughs> it's on my list. I mean, I, I again, I think this is one of those things that um, has been intuitively understood by a lot of people, um, but we're missing that like last formalization, if you will. I think the people closest to the truth here is like Nick Carter and a lot of the work that he's done. Um, 
I think Hasu has a lot of very interesting thoughts on this too. But, uh, I think Hasu has interesting thoughts, but I think he. We talk, Hasu and I talk about this a lot. I think. I think trying to extrapolate future fee markets based on usage up to this particular point in time is uh, is not a productive basis from which to make the the argument that it may not develop yeah i i agree um i i think the fundamental question here which has been raised many times is you know how much is enough and that's why i think uh, a formalization of the relative ratios between transaction size uh fees paid not only for you individually, but for the block as a whole and confirmation times. Until we can formalize that relationship, I don't think we're going to get more or less anywhere on this question because we don't know how to formulate what it is that we're asking. Like, we, w we know the answer that we want to get but that answer is it's weird right like what is the question we're asking we're, we're asking like will fees be enough to pay for security and and then we're looking for a yes or no right and think about like how how, how vague that question is right because we haven't defined like what is enough and until we define what is enough we can't ask that question it, it's a nonsensical question that doesn't have an answer and then you also factor in, like, again, what is a security budget denominated in now, which is dollars, the capital used to acquire the machines to create the hash. What will it be denominated in the future? And I believe it will be denominated in Satoshis. Yes, um, but, but, but so now, like, that is a unit of account question. But I don't think unit of account is the right way to think about it either. I think a unit of account helps you measure something, right? But what are you measuring? You're measuring purchasing power. You're you're measuring exchange value. So what what you what you're asking is like what will be the exchange value of, you know, whatever fees it is that miners will get and, you know, is this going to be enough to pay for again, security, right? security here is poorly defined as well like what is it that we mean with security i feel like we're talking about economic finality uh and that comes back to the question of like relative transaction size versus confirmations versus total fees in the block and that's where we need to come at this right we we, we need to like set some measure of like if i want to move 10 million dollars you know, what, what fee level per block do I need to feel confident that that transaction has settled in X amount of block time? And we need to formalize that before we can get anywhere. Like, because that is the way we need to think about it. Because like any amount of security is enough if you can wait an unlimited amount of blocks. But like, we need to put the practicality into this. Like, what kind of settlement time is desirable? You know. 
Well, let's get to another part of our conversation that we're looping back on. It's all relative, right? Like, is there an order book for security of individual? Like, one individual's sec- perception of security is different than another's. Mm-hmm. How do you factor that? Yeah. And, you know, one person's uh, need for a rapid settlement is different from another's, right? Which is why, like, if we can't enumerate this somehow, then it's totally pointless endeavor to, like, even go down asking the question of, like, will the fee market be enough to pay security? It's a total nonsensical question. Unenumerated, so it can't be approached. Lots of work to do. Lots of work to do. How early are we? How long do you think Bitcoin will survive if it is successful? Longer than you and me. Thank God. Assuming, you know, there isn't some crazy breakthroughs in, like, human longevity. Not that I think that people actually want to live forever, like, in, in their people, current body. Some people do. Yeah, but they do now. When they right. can't, when they, first of all, can't have it don't know what it entails and haven't made all the realizations that you probably would over an eternity of you know getting fucking bored and having to like learn every piece of everything that has ever existed yeah and this goes back to like mythology it seems like there's a theme or humanity throughout time has tried to get the point that you probably don't want to live like vampires vampires live a very tortured life um, yeah the the bicentennial is it the bicentennial in the movie with robin williams where he's like the robot that never dies yeah um yeah i mean uh, lord of the rings goes pretty heftily into this too yeah you know, with their uh they're like uh the, the dual um the dual love tragedy, you know, first the one between like uh, Baron and Luthien back in the Silmarillion, and then you know the the mirror of that in like the the, the actual trilogy between like Arwen and Aragorn, where you know she is mortal and will certainly outlive him, um, and that is just a tragic fate that she like literally sacrifices for you know Ar- Arwen's got a high time preference right, <laughs> right. Uh, it's been a great conversation I hate that I have to wrap it up it's all good we can do this again I think we should we can do it at a later time with some some scotch as well yes yes the uh, the five hour differences want to start like an hour from now I think that's when it's acceptable for me to start drinking here. The earliest acceptable time for me. Um, yeah, I don't I don't subscribe to acceptable times of intoxicants. Like yeah. I'm sorry. It's my life. Yeah, I've got uh that that'll change. Actually I don't know. Do you have any kids? No, I don't, but I know you do, so you know. Yeah. Yeah. I can't be blackout putting the kid to bed. It's a bad luck. <laughs> 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 Uh, well um means you're a good dad yeah i hope so we'll find out Mm. Uh, time will tell yeah 
Yeah, that's another crazy thing. Yeah. I think that's really hit home the last six months since I've become a father is you have like a very big impression on another human being. Yeah, right. Have a very, very uh, important variable in the uh, the trajectory of their their life. Um, it's your big chance, man, to make uh, an impact that will outlast yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's what. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I've been working on Bitcoin, not working on Bitcoin, or focused on Bitcoin longer than he's been alive, but. It really drives home the fact of why I'm interested in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there any other interesting thoughts on the top of your mind that you want to get off your mind before we leave here? I mean, we went... We didn't really go where, uh, where I thought this would go, but I'm pretty happy for where'd it. You, where'd you think it was going to go? Dude, I, I had all sorts of uh, potential like topics and stuff but I'm, I'm i'm glad it went this way instead um, yeah at some point you know you kind of have to do these types of pods too it's uh i mean it's it's good for the company and everything like if, if i come on these pods and i can talk about coin shares and i do think like the european exchange traded product market doesn't get enough um attention um, I think it's way ahead, for example, of the U.S. side of things. Um, like, everybody's, like, going on about, like, a U.S. ETF, and meanwhile, like, it exists in Europe already. Like, the products are there. Um, you know, the U.S. is being really slow. But then again, like, it's, uh, it's like, genuinely interesting and rewarding to have these, like, talks that take us completely off that path and onto like arguably more important stuff right yeah well the more importance of the why we're even doing this we could talk about what we're doing all the time but why the fuck are we doing it exactly like what is Uh what is the goal what is the goal bitcoin is a tool it's not a goal tool is a tool listen to tool tool is a tool Right. Listen to tool. Get, right. get your get your geometry. Get your uh, get your spirituality up and going. Yeah, I never. I just thought they were a heavy metal band. I never realized they were sacred geometry, man. Sacred yeah. geometry. That is drumming, like drumming should be. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's end it there. Listen to tool. Definitely. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, we'll definitely have to do it again. Maybe we'll talk about the topics that you had on the top of your mind before we start yeah. this conversation. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. If there's scotch involved, like, we might not. Yeah, there will be. <laughs> All right. Until next Thanks time, we're having scotch. Home, yeah. Hey. No, like I told you, honestly, I'm very happy our paths crossed this year because I can tell you think deeply about this stuff which is evident in this conversation. And uh, we need more deep thinkers like you in this space. Appreciate that. All right. All right, freaks. I hope you enjoyed it. Peace and love.